Welcome to Scandal Water, where the tea is hot and the conversation lively. Your hosts, Candy and Ashley, will discuss a peculiar story somehow related to the entertainment industry. This podcast might not change the world, but it just might satisfy your thirst for an intriguing tale. Oh, it's that time of day. Tune in and hear what the ladies say. It's time to bend your ear when the silver screen appears. Stories about the stage and screen and everything in between. So come on and join the fun. The curtain opens in three, two, one. Hello, Ashley. Hello, Candy. For our listeners, we are recording two episodes back to back. So. Uh-huh. To Ashley, I will say, we just finished recording our 4th of July episode. Yes. So I have a question for you right now to start this particular yes. one. Do you happen to know what's celebrated on October 21st of every year? Back to the Future Day. Are you kidding? <laughs> How did you know that? Because why wouldn't it be? Right? Yes. Yeah, that is it. Mm-hmm. October 21st, 2015. Right? Which was why there were so many yeah. articles and so much coverage in 2015 yes. when they were like, here it is. It's yes. fi- The future is finally The future arrived. is here. We do not yet have hoverboards. Which, by the way, I mean, in doing this research, so many wonderful articles were written in 2015. It was amazing. (laughs) There was a great coverage, great coverage. But yes, October 21st, I should have known you'd know that, (laughs) is Back to the Future Day. And October 21st of this past year, they made a really important announcement. Do you know what that was? There is not going to be another Back to the Future, is there? That's not what they announced. What they announced? They announced that the musical is coming to Broadway. Oh, that's cool. Yes. I mean, it was a huge deal. Fans went crazy. It's officially called Back to the Future, the musical. Mm -hmm. It's going to open officially on August 3rd of this year, but some of the preview performances are actually beginning on June 30th. It's right around the corner. Well, when this airs, it'll be happening. That's right. Yes. Yes. The timing is perfect. So... Huge news. That is huge news. By the way, I read a little bit about the musical. Everybody's saying it's amazing. Really? Yes. It started in England. Uh It first opened in 2020. It was, of course, affected by the pandemic. Uh But then when it opened back up again, it has had a very successful run. I believe it's won some awards, but I didn't really look that up. They had involvement of the original, the filmmakers and the people Mm -hmm. involved in the original production Mm -hmm. are involved in this musical. For example. Is Huey Lewis involved? Yes. Yes. They're he gave permission they're using the power of love yes the screenwriter bob gale who co-produced and co-wrote all three of the Mm -hmm. back to the future movies wrote the book for the musical adaptation nice alan silvestri who scored all the films Mm -hmm. he teamed up with a songwriter named glenn ballard to write the musical's new songs oh i love it and then they also adapted some of the pop songs including what we just said power of love to bring them to stage Mm. so you've got this is gonna be the hands of the people who were in the original thing in this which is amazing well i started with that good news Mm -hmm. because of course Mm -hmm. our topic today is Mm -hmm. going to be back Back to to the the future. future our theme for this month is mission blockbuster and if ever there was a blockbuster yes, ma'am. this movie is yes. one of them yes. in fact i came across a really cool 2019 usa today article called jaws batman finding nemo and more biggest summer blockbuster each year since 1975 cool and i i shared they that started with that you. because jaws was the first blockbuster exactly they gotcha. consider that to be the first and their criteria for creating their list i'll read it directly from their article quote 
24-7 Tempo has identified the biggest summer blockbuster each year since 1975, or beginning with Jaws, Mm -hmm. based on domestic box office data provided by box office reporting service Box Office Mojo. Dollar amounts have been included as both adjusted and unadjusted for ticket price inflation for comparison's sake. Okay. Okay. So their list for 1985 identifies Back to the Future as the biggest summer blockbuster that year. The domestic gross, again adjusted for inflation, was $532 million. Wow. The domestic gross unadjusted was $210.6 million, and the production budget was $19 million. So they put Whoa. $19 million into it, and that's what they brought back out of wow. it. Wow. They had a little summary in that article as well. Here's here's how they summarized it. Time travel, cool cars, romance, Libyan terrorists, the birth of rock and roll. There's plenty to like about director Robert Zemeckis's nostalgic look at the 1950s. The movie spawned two sequels, but none surpassed the success and unbridled joy of the first film, mm-hmm. which was the highest grossing movie in 1985 and was inducted into the National Film Registry. Wow. I know. That's a big movie. And the People Magazine article I read after that had this tiny little summary. I'll give their perspective as well. They said, disgruntled California teen Marty McFly accidentally heads back in time, altering the course of his parents' life and his own future in the process. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you did. So Ashley, do you have any special connections to Back to the Future? I kind of do. So my cat, Scotty, who our listeners have heard many, many a time <laughs> yes, on this podcast, he's behind me sleeping and <laughs> snoring, if you can hear him. His name is Scotty for a couple reasons. It was for Michael Scott from The, the Office. Office. Yes, but it's also for the saying, Great Scott. Nice. That Doc Brown says. And of course, I, my one of my last names is Brown, so Great Scott. Oh, he it's is great layered. <laughs> it is. It's a layered. It's nuanced. But yeah. So off mic, we were talking about this. I had the opportunity to rewatch this film. Yes. And I could not be any happier that I did. Yeah. Because I have not seen this in years. Really? Years and years. I had, I did not get a chance to rewatch it with uh, rehearsal and things I've got going on. So we'll have to see how good my memory is. But I seen it within years you know yeah within yeah. the last few years so it, it's fresher for you mm-hmm. and you've had multiple viewings yes over correct. time yes. so of course i do it's, it's time travel and michael j fox yeah well i mean as i was watching it i was like oh oh this is why it w- mm-hmm. yes i remember this now mm-hmm. that was so clever that was so funny that was mm-hmm. so good like i kept admiring it and feeling these affirmations of yes this is why Mm -hmm. this is why it's so beloved this is why it made has made so much money this is why people talk about it even still after all these years right yeah well let's dig into the film a little bit it was directed by robert zemeckis and bob gale was his partner in the work as i've already said these two are kind of a team they called them the bobs the bobs Um, yeah (laughs) Bob Zemeckis and Bob Gale were friends who went back to USC time. Like okay. they went to school together. Long film time school. Friends. Yes. And they had this idea in mind for quite some time. I'll come back to that. By the way, I'll go ahead and throw out here. Steven Spielberg is going to be one of the producers on this film as well. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's we need good. to do a separate podcast just on Steven we do. Spielberg. We, we do. just do. Yeah. We need to do a rewatch of all of his films and yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll come back to those fellas in okay. just a second. But here's how the original idea came about. By the way, have you ever seen the Netflix little series called The Movies That Made Us? 
No. You will want to watch that. I will? It is so entertaining. Okay. It's a little series where they will just pick up different movies that are very popular or were Mm -hmm. very popular, Mm -hmm. and they'll give you a little behind the scenes. And they do them very well. They're entertaining, they're short, they're concise, and they get a lot of interviews from the people who were involved. So I got to hear from Bob Gale himself as he talked about how he came up with the idea for this movie. And what he said was, one day he is kind of flipping through his yearbook, and he comes across a picture of his father it's an it's obviously the old yearbook yeah and first of all he notices like how his dad looks he's so young he's clean cut yeah and then he sees that his dad was class president and he that was something he did not know and he said it just kind of hit him he was like oh my gosh if i'd gone to school with my dad would i have been friends with him would we have hung out together would i like my dad yeah that's how the idea was born that's neat isn't that the coolest so bob and bob decided that this was going to turn into a film Mm -hmm. and they had this in their mind for quite some time and there was a really long process which I'm not going to detail all this but they went to lots of different people lots of different places trying to sell this in fact according to a Reader's Digest article the entire script was rejected 40 times oh that makes me feel better yeah (laughs) here's a little quote from I believe it was the Reader's Digest article. The pitch for Back to the Future was rejected by every major studio and some more than once. Mm. Producer and co-writer David Gale tells CNN, quote, it was always one of two things, he says. Time travel movies don't make any money or it's too nice. We want something raunchier like Porky's. Mm. Why don't you take it to Disney? Mm. So he did take it to Disney. The scene with Marty flirting with his mother was too raunchy for them. (laughs) So they kept getting turned down by everybody for one reason or another. You know, I just noticed it says David Gale in that quote that came directly from a source, but I'm assuming they're referring to Bob Gale. Maybe his name is... Maybe he had a pen name? Yeah, David Robert or something. Who knows? Okay. But moving on, this script had been rejected so many times, and what finally helped them bring it to the big screen was Robert Zemeckis unexpectedly had a hit with Romancing the Stone. They did not think that was going to do well and that movie killed it. Okay. So all of a sudden he had some credibility Mm -hmm. and they also brought on Steven Spielberg as one of the producers and when his name got attached to it, that helped as well. I mean there were other factors too but those were two of the biggies. All right. So finally now people are interested in the movie. Mm -hmm. It's going to be made. And it really is all who you know isn't it so much of it is Mm -hmm. so much of it is now over the time that they spent trying to sell this thing the script changed a lot it even changed actually once they had the green light and they started making it so i thought it would be fun to tell you just a few of the changes before we get into the actual filmmaking process the title almost got changed to spaceman from pluto but what happened was one of the executives who was behind this movie hated their title He said it did not make any sense. He hated it. And he was being super aggressive and saying, we've got to change the title. I don't like it. Spaceman from Pluto? He was pushing for that. And I believe it was Bob Gale telling this story on the movies that made us. He said, I was like, what do I do? What do I do? And I went to Steven Spielberg and Steven Spielberg was like, I can handle this. I can Uh handle this. And what Steven Spielberg did as executive producer was sent a little memo to that executive that said, oh, thank you for that wonderful joke. That was so funny. (laughs) We all laughed and laughed. And the guy 
I let it go and never brought it up yeah, again. Yeah, because he's not going to say I was serious. Exactly. Because it sounds like a joke. Spaceman from Pluto for your... No. It doesn't take place in space. There's no Pluto. No. It's back to the future. But isn't that funny he's how going... Steven Spielberg knew yes. how to do that? Oh, that's I thought so that was diplomatic. Hysteric. So another change. Uh, originally, they wanted Doc Brown to have a pet chimp named Shemp instead of a dog named Einstein. Mm. But Universal head Sid Sheinberg said, nope, cut that out. Mm -hmm. And supposedly he even said, quote, I looked it up. No movie with a chimpanzee ever made any money. And Lena the Ape says, excuse me? Oh, it's so funny (laughs) because again, in this, in the same Netflix series I keep talking about, Bob Gale kind of looks at the camera and shrugs and goes, um, every which way but loose, you know? (laughs) Yeah, right, (laughs) But again, they, they let him make that change and thus we got Einstein. Maybe it was, again, with the space program. Didn't they put a chimp in space? Well, speaking of the space program, Mm-hmm. Ronald Reagan had to sign off on the film really? because he was mentioned in it, of course, oh. and he was president. So they had to get his approval. And they said that one of the scenes they were worried about was that little scene where Doc Brown kind of makes fun of the idea of an, an actor. actor becoming president. <laughs> yes. And they said Ronald Reagan loved that. In fact, when when they were doing the initial showing, he asked the person running the film to back it up so he could see it again. <laughs> and he actually put a quote in his 1986 State of the union that referenced where we're going we don't need roads oh, yay. yes he was a huge <laughs> fan of the film so i thought that was really cute they in fact offered ronald reagan the chance to be the mayor in <gasps> back to the future three and he turned it down ah uh, yeah stayed with politics Last little interesting piece of trivia. The time machine was almost a refrigerator. That is so ridiculous. Had you heard that before? Yes, it's ridiculous. Well, here's what I thought was interesting. The reason why they nixed it was because... They clearly can't get up to 88 miles an hour. (laughs) (laughs) Well, they actually were afraid that kids would climb climb inside the refrigerator and it would be dangerous. We'd get trapped. And so that was actually why they did it. What was the plan? The car is so much cooler. Was he just going to walk in the refrigerator? I think it was taking it to, like, they were supposed to transport it to an atomic bomb testing yeah, site. No, I don't even no. know. It was crazy. 88 miles an hour. And so so they said, so they thought in their great wisdom, we don't want kids to climb in a refrigerator. So let's teach them to go 88 miles an hour. <laughs> and then they're going to time travel. Right, That's right. so much safer. Well, I mean, safer than getting in a refrigerator. <laughs> Is it? I don't Is know. It? I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, well, they decided to switch to the DeLorean, of course, uh-huh. and they chose it because it looked like a spaceship. It does. <laughs> Bob and Bob thought that the gull wing doors and the design gave it a futuristic look. It was a good choice. Yeah. And they thought it, that would make it more believable that people of 1955 would mistake it for an alien mm-hmm. spacecraft. Mm-hmm. Side note, the DeLorean owners were super pumped. I that bet. They used I bet it's it. like the Trans Am. Did it increase interest? No, because no? they actually had gone out of business oh. and... And even though, like, obviously the feature, you know, featuring the DeLorean in this movie made it hugely popular, but it was not enough to bring Mm. it back. They had already gone bankrupt Mm. in 1982. So that brings us to the film itself. So let's talk about casting. All right. Have you already heard that Michael Mm -hmm. J. Fox was not the original? Okay. Tell us about what you know. Uh, I think they had started filming with the other fella and they'd filmed quite a bit of it. And uh, personality conflicts, I don't remember what the reason was, but they ended up having, just asking him, I don't know, did they fire him? Did he quit? I don't remember any of that. Eric Eric Stoltz. Stoltz. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I bet he regrets that, whatever happened. Oh yeah, I'm sure. Yeah, Michael J. Fox was actually their first choice because he was very popular on Family Family Ties. Ties already. 
so they wanted him. But honestly, the way I think this was on Still, I, I watched part of Still. Okay. And I believe Michael J. Fox said on there that the Family Ties people didn't even really tell him they had come oh. after him. So, But his schedule would have been nuts. It was. It was. Absolutely. So Eric Stoltz took on the role and they were excited about him because he had been great in movies like Mask, for example. Mm-hmm. So they thought he's going to be great. The problem was, according to everything I saw, including some interview comments from Bob, you know, and, and other people involved with the film, they said that he just took it too seriously. Oh. In fact, an example was when they were reading the end of the script where, you know, Marty goes back in time and finds out that his life had changed. He actually said he was he was like, this is so tragic. This is so sad oh. that he missed. Like he took everything so dramatically and so uh-huh. seriously. He just come out of mask. So he's just thinking drama. He's still in that drama frame of mind. And they said he was a method actor mm. and he was not going at it from a comedic angle at okay. all. Okay. They had a few quotes. For example, Leah Thompson had given a quote that was used in Casein Gaines' book called We Don't Need Roads, The Making of the Back to the Future Trilogy. Here's what she said. Eric had such an intensity. He saw drama in things. He wasn't really a comedian and they needed a comedian. Mm -hmm. He's super funny in real life, but he didn't approach his work like that. And they really needed somebody who had those chops. And then Christopher Lloyd also had a quote where he talked about how great Eric Stoltz was as a performer, but he said, quote, he was not bringing that element of comedy to the screen. So on the night of January 10th, which was a few days after Bob Zemeckis had gotten approval to replace their lead actor. Eric Stoltz filmed his final scene and then they took him aside. They broke the news to him in private. And then Bob Zemeckis gathered the whole crew together during a break around 10.30 p.m. And he announced, quote, it's probably going to be shocking, kind of good news, bad news. We're going to have to reshoot most of the movie because we've changed the cast and there's going to be a new Marty, Michael J. Fox. Mo- most of the, he said, we're going to have to reshoot most of the movie? Yes. How much of it was done? Five weeks. They had, they had, they had been filming for five weeks? Yes. I'll find my exact quote here in a minute, but I believe it cost him something like $3 million. Wow. And it was only a $19 million budget. Uh Uh-huh. So $3 million of that was reshooting everyone's time. That is... I can't, oh my gosh, just thinking of it, I did not think it had been that much. Somehow I thought it had been a week, it just been a few scenes and they were going to redo it. That is an incredibly hard conversation mm-hmm. to have with your lead actor. Oh, yes. In fact, I have a quote about that. But to think of it from a financial standpoint, I can't believe they got permission, but that just shows you how important casting is yep. and to have the right person in the role because they were willing to sacrifice this film for the right person. Mm-hmm. And and it sounds like they handled it very delicately because they told him in private, I'm surprised they even let him film that last scene and then told him. Maybe it was something to do with a contract and fulfilling work days, but wow. Okay, tell me what they said. It might have been because it was already scheduled too. Maybe. In fact, it's interesting now that you say that, I, I believe so many of the quotes on that Netflix series came from Bob Gale. It might have been Bob Gale. It could have been somebody else who said they knew something was up because that last day of filming, it would be like, hey, don't we need to now do this other shot or this other perspective? And, they, and the director kept going, oh no it'll be fine oh no we don't need to do that that's okay so they knew something was up sounds like they were just fulfilling something for right for eric probably so but here is what bob zemeckis said about this decades 
after the fact. Eric is a brilliant actor. I simply miscast him and Mm -hmm. I learned a very serious lesson. You have to cast the movie the right way. Mm -hmm. And then when he was asked about telling Eric the news, he said it was horrible. That was the worst experience of my career. It was just horrible. You know, never want to do that again. No. Casting is so difficult anyway. And it sounds like Eric was a lovely person. Mm -hmm. It it doesn't, and that makes it worse. It's not like Eric was this horrible person being abusive to everyone on set. And so when he did that, everybody was like, oh, thank goodness, you know, this awful person is gone. He seemed kind and wonderful and they all had good things to say about him. He just wasn't the right person. It and wasn't so what they needed for that It wasn't part. what you needed. Yeah. And that's another thing to think about is you don't do anybody any favors by giving them the wrong role for who they are. Right. You know? Right. Gosh. Yeah. Yeah. I admire them for be- having the courage to do that. Yeah. Well, and speaking of admiring somebody, when they got Michael J. Fox, the deal that Family Ties the execs from Family Ties made was, sure, we'll let him do your project as long as it doesn't affect us one bit. Mm. So when you talked about his schedule, it he was shot this at night, right? unbelievable. They they used the term grueling. Michael yeah. J. Fox talked about it on Still. It was something like three months. He would put in a full day on a sitcom at Paramount Studios, working from 10 in the morning until six at night. He would then rush over to the Universal lot and he would shoot Back to the Future from roughly 6.30 p.m. to 2.30 a.m. His schedule on Fridays was the worst because he would have to rehearse for Family Ties from noon until five, then shoot two tapings with a live audience which would take until 10 p.m. Then he would go over to the set and he would shoot until six or seven the following morning. Sweet baby, when was he sleeping? Well, he got to sleep on Saturday and Sunday and they would start back on Monday. Oh gosh. It was around three months of this. I mean, it was unbelievably hard, but they said he obviously had the comedic skills. Mm -hmm. He had the charisma they needed. He had the chemistry with his co-stars that they needed. He reminds me a lot with that frenetic energy of Mickey mm-hmm. Rooney. Like Mickey Rooney had that same little little guy spunky energy mm-hmm. that Michael J. Fox had in the 80s. Yeah, in fact, that was a comment they made on Still is the fact that when he was younger, he couldn't be still. Like mm-hmm. they, they used the term, he was kind of impish, yeah. you know, and he had that, oh my goodness, that boyish charm, yeah. but he was always moving. Mm-hmm. And now that he's got Parkinson's and he it's can't. so advanced, he can't be still. Mm. Yeah. Well, about that chemistry, Christopher Lloyd in a variety article said this about Michael J. Fox. There was a certain ease between us. I didn't have to struggle to get there with Michael. There was never any conflict. It just fit. Mm -hmm. And it's never stopped. I feel like we could go and do it again after all these years and not have to think about the relationship Mm -hmm. between Marty and Doc. Mm -hmm. The only challenge working with Michael was that Michael is around five foot four and Christopher Lloyd is about six one. So when they would film together, Christopher Lloyd would bend over a lot Ah. in the close-ups in order to kind of, you know, reduce that. Yeah. And they said that's actually what gave Doc Brown his signature hunched over stature. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And then going back to a few other implications, we've already mentioned this. The The decision to recast added $3 million to the movie's budget. It meant they had to reshoot many scenes, and not all of them, because there were some mm-hmm. they could still sure. use. Yeah. And this is one I did not know or realize. It led to the recasting of Marty's girlfriend as well. Really? Is that why they ended up using... Yep. Oh, God. The original Jennifer, Jennifer Parker was Melora Hardin, who is Jan on The Office. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. Interesting. It would have been her first big movie. She was beyond excited. Uh-huh. I got to hear her talk about this. And 
When they let Eric go, she received a phone call from both of the Bobs who very, very sadly told her that she was too tall for the new actor who was taking over the lead role, Michael J. Fox. They had to get a new girlfriend. I thought it was going to be from the original girlfriend, Elizabeth Shue. Maybe that's why they used that there was a different Jennifer in the sequels. What happened was the actress who played Jennifer Parker, Claudia Wells, actually ended up having to drop out because her mother, who was also her manager, was diagnosed with breast cancer. Mm. So she turned down the sequel because she wanted to focus on being with her family. I gotcha. And that's what opened the door for Elizabeth Shue to come in. Okay. Yeah. So before we move on to talk about some interesting facts about the making of the film itself, why don't we take a short break? Okay. Roads, where we're going, we don't need roads. We need recommendations. If you'd like to help affect the future of Scandal Water, consider leaving us a five-star rating or a review on the podcatcher of your choice, or simply share your favorite episode. Your recommendations are what keep the algorithms from making us disappear like Marty's siblings in that family photograph. See you in the future. All right, we're back. Before we jump into some of these interesting little facts that I found while I was researching, do you have anything you want to share about the movie? Anything that stood out to you? Any memories? I just loved it. Mm-hmm. I love their relationship like they talked about. In any other capacity, if you had a man who was a middle-aged, we're not even sure what age he is because of his white hair, hanging out with a high school student, nobody else around, you're like, that's a little sketchy. But it didn't come off as sketchy at all. It came off as a mentor-mentee. Mm-hmm. They were just friends. It was it was all fine and plausible. Yeah. The weirdest part is where his mother does fall in love with him so that's the part that you're a little like what and um, but it was also very engaging yeah like like it totally sucked you in because you could just feel the discomfort you were so with him like oh please make this stop don't do this but he knew he had to go through with it in order to fulfill whatever he needed to do for and i thought the disappearing picture was so cool so suspenseful such a great Mm -hmm. um you know you always talk about time stamps or or it's kind of that same idea like you've had that urgency we've got to do something and we've got to do it fast time Time lock lock. there it is yes you gotta get this done fast it it reminded me of what a big fan i am to be honest rewatching it did all right well here are a few things that i came across. I'm sure some of this you are going to remember, but I found a few things that were new for me. Did you recall that Huey Lewis made a cameo? I did. Okay. Do in you remember where that was? Talent show? Somewhere in the in the um, gymnasium. Yes. He's it's the right there at the very beginning. Of course, they've got Huey Lewis dressed up as this nerdy teacher, which yes. was cute. And then he's saying the music was just too darn loud. Yes. And Marty was playing, of course, Huey Lewis's own song, yes. which made I it I love even Huey funnier. Lewis's music. It was good. Mm-hmm. It he's was had good. a health complication recently. Did you know that? He stopped performing because there's something, I don't remember what it is. Something's wrong with his throat. I, I saw that he'd been dealing with some mm-hmm. things. Yes. A side note, again, our listeners probably know this, but Michael J. Fox really plays. He's really Does a he? musician. Yeah, he was he was in a band. He had been taking lessons from a guitarist. He didn't sing, correct? I don't Johnny think he good. did. Honestly, I can't recall. Okay, okay. But but he definitely was, was playing himself. He said, your kids are going to love it. <laughs> yes, yes. So speaking of his playing, that's one of the most famous scenes. When he is performing, not in the, the beginning of the, the talent sea, show. Enchantment but, Under the Sea. Yes, or, yeah, yeah, Enchantment he, Under the Sea dance. When he is performing there, that's one of the most famous scenes, and it was almost cut. Oh, yeah, of they, course. It's always the way, isn't it? The stuff that's the most iconic, all the, the suits are like, oh, I'll take that out. Well, uh, the article that I read said that Robert Zemeckis commented on the DVD commentary that he felt it was a little gratuitous, like it was the only scene where the the plot stops for what he called comedic indulgence. Mm. But 
People in test audiences liked it. Mm -hmm. They left it in. And a CBS News article said this, McFly's iconic performance of Johnny B. Good at his parents' school dance calls on some moves from rock music's biggest stars. In a few short seconds, McFly hits all the legends. Chuck Berry's one-legged hop, the mm -hmm. windmill made famous by mm -hmm. the Who's Pete Townsend, playing behind his head like Stevie Ray Vaughan and stopping the show with a Jimi Hendrix slash Van Halen inspired solo. The reason I shared that is because had they cut that, like, that was just isn't I that think, leading up to the punch where he where his dad goes up to the car and Biff is in the car with the mom and he opens the door isn't that kind of interspliced am I wrong it is but I mean you could have taken it out and that punch could have still happened yeah you know? but we had the buildup of all that energy from the music and then you had that big moment well and I I just felt like it was iconic. Mm -hmm. I mean, this is such a nostalgic nod to the 1950s. Yeah. And to take out something like that, that was short, it was concise, yeah. but it was also so enjoyable yeah. and such a powerful, you know, shout out, if you will, to these really important performers. I'm like, I'm so glad they left that I in. I am too. Yeah. So on a different note... Working with Crispin Glover was not easy, apparently. Wasn't he also replaced for the other films? Yes, and we're right. going to talk about that. Some of his co-workers have commented over the years, some of the co-stars, that he was not super dependable, that he was a bit of a diva. Mm. Believe he compared himself to Brando at one point, mm. that he missed his lines sometimes. In fact, he even admitted on The Tonight Show at some point that he lost his voice to nervousness while he was filming. And he would then sometimes have to silently mouth his lines and then dub those lines back in later. Oh, so he goodness. just had challenges that yeah. came with him, even though everybody agrees he's very very talented. Yes. Very talented actor. Mm -hmm. But what happened was he turned down the sequel because he felt like he was not being offered enough money, especially in comparison to Michael J. Fox. And so Bob Gale rewrote the script to lessen the role that George McFly would you know, play in it. And then what they did was they hired a new actor and they made molds yes. or prosthetics. And didn't they get in trouble for this? Because they, they used his likeness. At 100%. That's exactly what happened. Yeah. Crispin Glover sued them for stealing his likeness. And it took a long time. This was a long fight. Eventually, they settled it for $765,000. He won. He should and have won. He, I agree with you. And this led to a new rule about illicit use of an actor's likeness. You can't use somebody's likeness without their permission anymore. Which is coming up also with a lot of the AI stuff now. Right. But I agree. I mean, if Crispin said, I'm not doing it, and mm -hmm. then they just took his likeness and his face and said, yeah. well, you're in this movie anyway, yeah. but we're not paying you. Yeah. You know, I mean, I that's don't think that's cool. right. Well, one last little note was that the film set a record for its production schedule. The crew only had nine and a half weeks for editing, sound engineering, Ooh. and adding the special effects between the day the film wrapped and the day it hit theaters. They said nine that was Nine and an, a half weeks? Mm -hmm, they said it was an unprecedented lead time for a major movie release at that time. Oh, oh, oh. I wonder if it's because of the reshoots. So what did you say earlier? It was like five months that they had been shooting? No, no, no. Five weeks. Five weeks that they'd been shooting. With Eric. With Eric. But still, that extra five Five weeks in editing would have helped a lot. Yeah. It put them back. That's a good inference. I bet you're mm -hmm. right. So the results. 
Well, we talked at the beginning of this episode about how well-received the movie was. Of course, you know, the fact that it was the biggest summer blockbuster of 1985. But it was not just the highest grossing film that summer. It was the highest grossing film of 1985 worldwide. Yeah. It was nominated for four Academy Awards, Best Screenplay, Best Sound, Best Original Song for Power of Love, and it did actually win for Best Effects slash Sound Effects editing. That's a long way to come from being rejected by all those studios right i mean talk about affirming they Mm -hmm. had to feel vindicated Mm -hmm. whatever the term Mm -hmm. might be all of the stars received great reviews i mean nobody was bashed they all were were i think critically acclaimed but michael j fox in particular just skyrocketed yeah in his career yes family ties took him and this took him to the stratosphere i would say 100 percent. he was on every magazine he was on every talk show and Another little bonus was, remember how we talked about at the beginning, one of the reasons they couldn't sell the script was because people said time travel ideas don't sell. Yeah. This film boosted the credibility of sci-fi films. Ah. It helped prove that movies that were sci-fi, that involved time travel, Uh this type of thing could sell. And they give this movie credit for kind of changing the mindset towards sci-fi movies. That's very cool. The Bobs received a fan letter from John DeLorean after the film's release, thanking them for using his car in the movie. That was kind of just a nice little bonus. The film also inspired kind of this upswing in the popularity of skateboarding. Oh, yeah, for Mm -hmm. sure. Marty McFly's street skateboard style is often cited as an inspiration for a generation of skateboarders. This is a quote from an article. In the 1980s, street skating was taking off, boosting popularity for skateboards like the Valtara model McFly rocks in the movie. Numerous companies even make replicas of the exact skateboard used in the movie. I'd want one if I skateboarded. Except that, you know, as a a mother, I was like, Mm -hmm. don't hang on the back of that (laughs) car. What are you doing? Yeah, yeah. I literally was like, kids, don't copy that. Which, I mean, they did back in the... Yeah, they would have. Well, all of this led to, of course, the two sequels, which this was very, I think, unprecedented. They filmed back to back. Yes, they did. Went straight from one to the other. I actually like the third one a lot. Mm -hmm. It it competes with my favorite. Sometimes I like the third one the best and sometimes I like the first one the best. I need to see them again, too, because mm-hmm. honestly, they're they're vague. They're fuzzy in my memory. It's a Western. I like Westerns, mm-hmm. though. I think yeah. they're fun. Well, and what a different twist, yeah. right? Yeah. The notes said that Back to the Future 2 and Back to the Future 3 were shot consecutively over 11 months. They only had a three-week break in between. And Is they he still said, doing Family Ties at this time or no? I believe he was. I didn't Ooh. look that up, but I think he was. But now they said it was really challenging for Bob Zemeckis. They gave an example. For three weeks, he had to wake up at 4.30 in the morning to fly from Los Angeles where he was supervising the post-production of the second movie to North Carolina where he was filming the climax of the third movie and then he would have to come back again like this was what he did for a time these are the types of schedules and conflicts that they were dealing with man I think my life and schedule is hard sometimes So about the cast, Mm -hmm. we've already talked quite a bit, of course, about Michael J. Fox, Mm -hmm. but let's just hit on a few of the other people as well. You know what, though? I do have to say this about Michael. We've we've talked about him before. In fact, he came up in our episode on forging a new path. Yes. And we talked about his struggle with Parkinson's disease and how strong he's been. And of course, I've now referenced the documentary still several times, Mm -hmm. which I found highly engaging. I want to watch that. Yeah. So for our listeners who might not have heard that episode, I'll just quickly fill this 
this in, in 1991, Michael J. Fox was diagnosed with Parkinson's disease, but he hid it for quite Mm -hmm. some time. Mm -hmm. And something that they mentioned in the still documentary was they said, even though he didn't know it at that time, if you look back at Back to the Future 2 and 3, you could probably see some signs. Start to see some of the signs and symptoms. Exactly. He finally opened up about it seven years later. And then not long after that, of course, he started the foundation to raise money for Mm -hmm. research to treat Parkinson's. He's received awards. He's Mm -hmm. dealt with this for a long time. And of course, his wife is somebody he gives a lot of credit. Tracy. Tracy Pollan, whom he married in 1988. He met her on the set of Family Ties, Mm -hmm. and they have four children together. Mm So there's just a little bit more about Michael. So Christopher Lloyd, of course, who was Doc Brown, was already well-established, popular before he came into this trilogy. From Taxi. Exactly, Mm -hmm. exactly. In fact, they referred to it as his Emmy-winning role on Taxi. So he was... Jim. Yeah, he was popular. He was in the sequels, obviously, and he went on to do a lot of other things. He's still still active today, but a few notable things would be his role as Uncle Fester in the Addams Family movies. those were good. He was in Angels in the Outfield, Baby Geniuses, lots of things. He has been married five times. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. His last wife he married in 2016. I believe they're still together. Now, Leah Thompson was basically a newcomer when she was cast as Marty's mom. Mm -hmm. She went on to have her own mid-90s series called Caroline in the City. I watched that. I liked it. I watched it sometimes, too. I, I liked it, it a lot. Cute. And she's been in other projects since. In fact, one of them went more recent. Little Women, right? She played Marmy mm-hmm. in a modern adaptation of Little Women. Yeah, she's she's done a lot of she things. She has done a lot. Yeah, 2018 was the Little Women. They said since 2023, she has starred on the CTV procedural series, The Spencer Sisters. Oh, cool. She has been married to director Howard, I think you would say Deutsch, since 1989, after they met on the set of 1987's Some Kind of Wonderful. They have two daughters who are both writers and actors. Very cool. Kept in the family business. Yeah. Crispin Glover is the son of the Chinatown actor Bruce Glover. I did not know that. I didn't either. He went on, of course, after Back to the Future. He left after the first movie, as we've Mm -hmm. said. But he did another project with Robert Zemeckis, which was Beowulf in 2007. And he's done a lot of other things from The Doors to What's Eating Gilbert Grape to Mm -hmm. Charlie Angel's Full Throttle. Mm -hmm. uh, Lots of different things. So he continues to be active as well. We talked about Claudia Wells and how she had to leave her role of Jennifer Parker because of Mm -hmm. um, her mom's illness. She She did go back to acting and she did a few projects over the years. But one of the other things that she has done is open a high-end menswear shop called Armani Wells in Studio City, California. And she and her husband have one son named Sebastian. Very cool. And finally... Biff was played by Thomas F. Wilson, and he was on Freaks and Geeks. <laughs> he was, he was. What did he do there? He was the coach. Okay, and the one of my favorite episodes is where they the the geeks are trying to like I can't remember all of it, but they're they're trying to um, prank him. So they call him and they say this sentence, and then he calls them in. T- his office the next day and he makes him repeat it and so he figures out that it was them that pranked him I like the episode a lot because he kind of talks to them about you know they always feel like they're picked last mm. and this is why we did this because you never believe in us in sports and so it, it, it leads like to some learning lesson. it does but it has, I like it yeah well 
he's done several projects. Another, in addition to Freaks and Geeks, for example, he did The Ghost Whisperer. And he has voiced different animated characters in SpongeBob SquarePants. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he was in the 2013 buddy cop comedy, The Heat, starring Sandra Bullock and Melissa McCarthy. So I liked that movie. Yeah, that so was funny. I think he says the phrase, I hate manure, in every film. Really? Yeah. Because he gets covered in manure in every oh, film. Oh, that's yeah. cute. Well, he Probably married... not cute for him. Well, right? <laughs> <laughs> that's... He why does say, my thing yeah. have to be manure? He's trying to think of, boy, I feel real cute right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, he married his wife, Caroline, in 1985, same nice. year of the movie, and they have four kids. About a fourth movie. This is something that has been coming up a lot. When I was researching it, like I kept hitting all mm-hmm. these articles, and I'm not sure why, honestly, but for whatever reason, there has been a lot of talk about it. Now, along the way, the Bobs, especially Bob Zemeckis, has been pretty adamant about not wanting to ever do a fourth. In fact, I believe it was back in 2015, which again, I told you that yeah. was a big year for big lots year. of articles. Here was a quote they had from him at that time. There's no Back to the Future 4, and there shouldn't be a Back to the Future 4. I don't think there should ever be a fourth sequel to anything. Three is a dramatic number. Mm -hmm. It's a three-act structure. Mm -hmm. Four is even. Four is boring. Mm -hmm. They've always felt like, you know, their executives, their leaders were not going with this idea. But apparently it's being, you know what? I just figured it out. What? It's because in the last four or five years, some fans have released some trailers for a Back to the Future 4. I think that's part of it. I actually watched it. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of it. And then probably, you know, there are other factors as well. But Michael J. Fox actually spoke not that long ago about his opinion about a fourth movie. And he said, he kind of, I don't know, it was a little flippant. He said, you know, hey, I was paid. If they decide to do it ever, it's their right. It's their choice. They can do it. I got my money. Obviously, he wouldn't be able to be in it because Mm -hmm. of his Parkinson's. But he said he would respect their decision. But he went on to say in a Variety magazine article that came out just a few weeks ago that he didn't think it would be a good idea. Mm -hmm. And he does not think the co-creators or Steven Spielberg would go for it. Here's just a brief quote from that article. I don't think it needs to be. I think Bob and Bob have been really smart about that. I don't think it needs rebooting because are you going to clarify something? Right. You're going to find a better way to tell the story? Right. I doubt it. Right. Yeah. Now, Christopher Lloyd has also been quoted, you know, speaking about this idea within the last few months. And he was more open to the idea. Mm-hmm. Although his caveat was he wouldn't want to do it unless it was a great script mm-hmm. and unless the co-creators thought there was a good story mm-hmm. that needed to be told. Mm-hmm. And then it sounded like he would be on board. Mm-hmm. Armchair psychologist. Well, that brings us to our armchair. And... You know, if you have any general thoughts, I'd love to hear them. But I thought it might be interesting to ask you about the two most controversial issues that came up. Okay. Which were the idea of Crispin Glover's likeness being used without his consent. Yeah. And this idea of recasting a star who has been offered a movie who has yeah. been who has started filming a movie yeah. those seem to be the two controversies so i wanted to see if you had any thoughts about those issues okay for the, so for the first one using his likeness the parties involved in creating this film seem to be very kind loving nice respectable people so it makes me wonder what in the world got in your head that you thought you could do this is it one of those just truly honest mistakes i mean we've all been there i've done stuff like that in my very first feature film 
album, I did not realize that you couldn't use artwork that you hadn't gotten permission for. Mm -hmm. I just thought if it was on the wall and it's in the background, what does it matter? So we had to go back and blur out that stuff. I mean, I literally just didn't know it. Right. So is it something just lack of awareness? And we went back and we fixed it. But is it something where they thought, okay, he doesn't want to be in it, so we'll just take somebody who looks like him and we'll just we'll just still let him be in it? Because I cannot fathom where they would do this with malicious intent, especially knowing what kind of legal battle was going to come from it. So if the question is, do I think they did it on purpose? Surely not surely not doing it on purpose knowing it was wrong and like maybe we'll just get away with it you just made the biggest movie in the world and you thought you could do this mm-hmm. you you use the phrase knowing this was something to the effect of knowing the legal battle that would come yeah and i think that's the point i don't think they had any idea no. this would be grounds for a legal battle i don't think there was any knowledge of that i think i agree with your point this was 1985 we forget how long ago that yeah. was we are talking what 30 Five thirty-six years ago, I'm or more than that. Mm-hmm. Not good with math, people. <laughs> <laughs> I was five when it came out. I'm forty-three now, so there you go. Okay, lots of years. Let's lots, just say lots of years. lots of years. But the point is, it was 1985. Think about how plagiarism. Yes, the rules for plagiarism, the legalities, yeah. the the clarifications yeah. that have occurred in the last even two decades, mm-hmm. let alone 37, 38 years. I think it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. I think that they ran into a situation. It, it was an ba- easy it's fix. Base, it's basically plagiarism of somebody's likeness is what it is. They stole his likeness. They did. It had never happened before. But they probably... why did they not do the same thing with Jennifer, right? Elizabeth Shue doesn't look anything like Claudia. Well, I'm making an inference. Okay. But remember when Crispin Glover dropped out, they reduced the size of his role. Uh And I believe, I have not seen Back to the Future 2 in forever. But if I recall, I think he is in it very little. It's almost like he's kind of like hanging around somewhere. Just, I mean, and so I think, I think it was easy to just, we'll put this prosthetic on this other actor. He's not very involved. We can get away with it. Whereas the girlfriend has a large true, role in true. two. Like she needed to act. She true. needed to be involved because it wasn't it going back to save their children. Isn't mm-hmm. that the premise? I believe so. Yeah. And so they needed her in it. And in fact, that they was... actually no, they go to the future. So it's not going back to save the children. Oh, that's right. They go forward. That's thank you. Yeah. That's right. But also they reshot the ending so that they could establish the new actress. Like the mm. the new film, if I recall, opens with redoing oh, yes, yes. the final scene from the original movie the so that they going. could establish Okay. Here is here's Elizabeth Shue, who is now your new Jennifer Parker. Okay. Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know anything about the people. Of course, we don't. We're just speculating. But my thinking would be surely to goodness. They just thought, oh, well, this will be mm-hmm. easy fix. Mm-hmm. And then Crispin, rightfully so, said, no, wait a minute. I didn't give you permission for this. And it's a it's a very expensive lesson. They, they learned a couple expensive lessons. The first was, which we're going to talk about next, is don't cast the wrong person. Mm-hmm. Even if they're a nice person, it doesn't mean that they're the right person. Mm-hmm. And... Don't use somebody's likeness without their permission. I mean, they wrote to Ronald Reagan and asked for his permission. So it's in your brain. So you just didn't think about it. Right. And honestly, who am I to judge? I have no idea. It sounded like Crispin could be a little challenging, but I am sympathetic to him I in am this too. situation. Because if I said, no, you're not offering me enough money for me to want to do your project, I am declining. Yeah. And then you put me in it anyway yeah. against my will yeah. and paid me nothing, which is right. essentially what it would seem like to him that's wrong it is 
that's wrong. It would make me angry. So I wonder if what they settled for is what he would have been paid in the film. You know, that 700 some thousand dollars? No, I believe he made much more than he would have been paid in the film because oh. if my notes are correct, I believe he was only offered 125000 to make the sequel oh. in the beginning. That isn't a lot of money. Mm-hmm. I, I, I kind of am... I'm with him. If this movie made, you had a budget of 19 million, you made over 200 million at the time, 500 million for inflation, and you're going to pay me, and I'm a reason, one of the reasons this movie was so great, and you're just going to offer me 100,000. I mean, I would love it, but I'm a nobody. <laughs> I wasn't in Back <laughs> to the Future 1. So yeah, I'm, I'm on his side with this without without disparaging the other people. I understand that they were just trying to, you try to make a movie for the least amount that you can. But if you're going to offer Michael J. Fox, here, here's a million dollars for you and only a hundred thousand for the other guy i can i can see where he'd get upset yeah and he I may mean, have thought i'm gonna reject it and they'll come back and give me an right. offer we'll negotiate and then they said no okay we'll just use you anyway that would also add insult to injury right exactly and when i think about the second issue yeah. the recasting honestly i keep coming at it from the personal angle if i were that actor i think that would just devastate yeah. me i mean i'm not sure if i've ever heard of this before where somebody was that far into a project mm-hmm. a big project and already had a name behind you already had some expertise and you know a resume that you'd built and thinking that you're doing your very very best giving it your all and then basically being fired and and replaced and not only that the person that replaced you ended up becoming uber famous and you're thinking that could have been me but would it have been him it's it's so hard I come at it from an acting and directing perspective from the acting perspective I would be devastated to be in his position Mm -hmm. and to think just what you said I couldn't have said it any better I did the best that I could and it still wasn't good enough that would be a huge hit to my ego huge Mm -hmm. hit to my confidence but looking at it from a directing perspective if it just isn't working What is worse to let this continue and then the movie comes out and what if it's clear that it was terrible and it's an embarrassment to the actor who seemed like a lovely person, but you don't want it to hurt his career because Mm -hmm. he was horribly miscast according to the director. I mean, the actor thought he was doing a great job, but the director can see the broad vision and he's putting it together and going, this is just not working. Mm-hmm. Is it better to kind of say, I am so sorry, this is just not working. I'm going to salvage your career, even though it sounds like I'm tanking it because I'm going to prevent you from being lampooned for being the wrong choice. He wasn't a bad person for being the wrong choice. I'm going to be a little less nice than you are because okay. I'm going to guess that the... Bob's did not come at it or whoever made the ultimate decision but I'm gonna guess that they were not quite as they were more financially I'm gonna guess they were a little more self-serving mm-hmm. that it was a little bit more about their own movie mm-hmm. rather than I'm gonna save you from you know being lampooned oh sure I'm in that fact, too because because what does it do to my reputation if everybody knows I got That's fired true. after five weeks like That's that true. hurts then that that would worry me is this going to tank me if people mm-hmm. realize that I wasn't good enough I had to be replaced after five weeks like that that would be devastating. I guess it depends on the wording. If you say wasn't good enough, he was good enough. He was just miscast. He was good enough. The talent was there. It was just the wrong type of talent. It was the wrong approach. It was the wrong yeah, approach. Yeah, he was coming at it from a dramatic angle when mm-hmm. it needed to be comedic. Mm-hmm. But it, what here's what keeps going through my mind. This is not the only case this has happened. We have seen movies where we're like, that person really was not the best yeah. choice for this character. Yeah. Community theater. Right. Like this happens all the time to directors. You're watching people do a cold read. You assign the parts. And I'm sure there are times when a director starts the rehearsals and goes, oh, 
yeah, yeah. Oh, that person's not as strong as I thought. Or, ooh, I wish I'd maybe cast these differently and these people could swap roles. They'd be stronger. I've heard of that happening once in a community theater production, actually. A director cast, it was like the odd couple or something a long, long time ago. And he actually asked the two leads to swap. Like, oh, I picked the wrong ones. Interesting. Yeah. But my point is, the this situation has to come up mm-hmm. fairly often. Mm-hmm. And yet... This is the only time I can recall mm-hmm. ever hearing this happen where they're like, oops, sorry, it's our casting mistake. We're firing you. Yeah. <laughs> so like, I'm just very empathetic. I understand yeah. that Michael J. Fox needed to be Marty McFly. He is amazing. Mm-hmm. He is brilliant. Mm-hmm. I could not love him anymore. And I think that his role in helping this film be a success was huge. He had chemistry with everyone. You could not help but fall in love with him. Mm-hmm. He was adorable trying to get his parents hooked up, yeah. trying to be partners or friends. To like, his come own on, father. George, you like, gotta help me here. Right. You couldn't you could not help but love this guy. I'm just a little empathetic to Eric Stoltz. I know. Stoltz. I am that's too. That's all I'm saying. Let me ask you a quick question before we wrap it up. Would you be behind a fourth one? Or what do you think about that? I'm struggling because I don't think I don't think Michael J. Fox would be part of it, and I don't know that I want a fourth one if he's not part of it. Okay. I was thinking the same thing. But then I thought about it from a community theater perspective. What people are essentially wanting is the same thing. They want to play the part. They want to be Marty McFly, mm-hmm. right? We do that in community theater all the time. How many productions of Steel Magnolias has there been? Right. Because you want to play these iconic characters. So I think the happy medium is going to be Back to the Future of the Musical. I agree. So I think we I was leave, just that. leave the movies as is. Yep. Those are canon. That is the story that was told. I don't see any possible way that you could tell this story better. I don't even foresee a thing where it's like, oh, now it's Marty's son and and Doc's going to help him go back in time. I just leave it alone. All you're going to do is taint the waters and muddy it up. Just keep these perfect three films. Let's focus on Back to the Future and the musical. We can all fulfill our dreams of being whoever in that. Mm -hmm. And that's how we can all live out our Back to the Future sequel dreams, ideals. Agree. Agree. Candy, we're solving so many things. We are. I mean, seriously, (laughs) y'all are welcome. You're welcome. (laughs) Well, on that note, then a big cheers to Michael J. Fox, Mm -hmm. Christopher Lloyd, the Bobs, all the other actors who were involved in the film, Steven Spielberg. We could go on for days. Even Eric Stoltz. Yes. And yes. We're sorry, Eric. (laughs) We are. (laughs) We are. So... Cheers to all of you and great Scott. Yes. (laughs) 1.21 gigawatts. If you love what we do, please rate and review our show. Or you can become a supporter by making a donation through buymeacoffee.com slash scandalwaterpod. Whether a single gift or a recurring monthly donation, it would go a long way towards supporting our work and allowing us to keep the tea brewing. At our website, www.scandalwaterpodcast.com, you can submit questions or your own story ideas, access our sources and show notes, see the merch we offer for sale, and more. You can Join the Scandalwater community through our Scandalwater Podcast Facebook page or follow us on Instagram or TikTok at Scandalwater Podcast. This episode was executive produced by Candy Thomas, that's me, and Ashley Raymer Brown, that's me. It was researched and written by Candy Thomas and edited by Ashley Raymer Brown. A special thank you to Josh Martin, who wrote, composed, and performed the Scandalwater theme and other music, Matt C. Adams, who created the artwork, and Joshua Reith, who designed our website and provides ongoing technical support. As a reminder, this podcast is purely for entertainment purposes. The thoughts and opinions of the host during each episode of Scandalwater are their own and do not reflect the opinions of any future guests, advertisers, or clearly professional psychologists.
Thanks for listening.